Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Simon Hughes and Simon Mann here. This is in association with the Cricketer magazine. They say a week is a long time in politics. It's been a tumultuous week in cricket with the things that have been announced. Ed Smith as the New England selector the announcement that the Test Match Special hasn't got the winter rights and Talk Sport is going to be covering the winter cricket tours to both Sri Lanka and the West Indies. And now the 100-ball challenge, known as the 100, is going to be the new T20 tournament. Well, it's not T20, is it, now? Because it's, it's 100 balls, which is actually 16.4 overs. And whether that's going to work or not, well, that's caused a, a real uproar on social media, Simon. It has. I think what's interesting is, what was your first reaction when, when you heard that? What was the first thing you thought? Actually, I thought they'd nicked my idea because <laughs> I, funnily enough, went to... It's the, all your fault. Well, possibly it is. I, I went to the ECB in 2015 trying to find ways of, of actually helping to promote the game and maybe, you know, get a bit of a job myself as well. So I went to the ECB and I said, I've got this great idea, 100-ball cricket. And I got the idea, actually, so there's no such thing as an original idea, from watching an under 13 cricket match, my son playing for, for his club Colts 11, and what they started to do was they were getting fed up with the 6 o'clock start of a 20-over match going on until about 8.30, cold, nearly dark, parents absolutely fed up, way past supper time, and still these 20-over matches were, were going on, and so they decided to instead make it 16 overs a side with four over batches bowled from one end. Mm. This is only, you know, 12-year-olds. So they're running in, they bowl their over, then another bowler bowls from the same end, which means that the, all the fielders haven't got to change places. And, of course, with Colts cricket, you get a deep mid-wicket running to deep mid-wicket the other side, and it's all very inefficient. So they decided this 16-over format with four over blocks from one end and then four over blocks from the other end. And it just worked smoothly, and it, they got the game over in an hour and 45 minutes. Great idea. Everyone was happy. 16 overs is 96 balls. So I thought, well, add four, make it 100, 100 balls aside. Also, strike rates are measured in 100-ball 
blocks as well. You know, your strike rate is 98 per 100 balls. It just seemed to make sense. So I thought at the time, this is a nice, simple way of playing the game. It's a little bit shorter than T20. It's easy to understand. You can have a sort of countdown. So I went with the ECB to that. And I think they probably stored it away and came back with it last week. But, you know, I'm not claiming that I invented it. And actually, funnily enough, now I'm not quite so sure because I just feel that we're trying to simplify the game with a 100-ball challenge, but at the same time, we're complicating it by four different formats. I think one of the points is that T20 works, has worked. It's been successful all around the world. The domestic T20 competition is beginning to work as well. Crowds going to the, the blast in England and Wales, it works. Therefore, why do you need to change it? I think my reaction was... Oh, the initial reaction was, come on, what, what's going on here? You're just shortening and shortening and shortening the game. Where are we going to end up with? Are we just going to end up with a bowl out to, to, to settle cricket matches? If people's, a toss of a coin, well, even. Yeah, well, that's happened, hasn't it? Um, you know, if we're going to go down that route, you know, people's attention spans are so short, you know, why, are we, why are we bothering? Why don't we just give up the game altogether? Thought about it a bit longer. I, I can understand why they've done it. I can understand the thinking behind it. And perhaps we should explain what the thinking behind it is. There are uh, two or three reasons, aren't there? One, to satisfy the broadcasters. And the point is that the ECB want cricket back on free-to-air television, i.e. The, the BBC. For the BBC, it works to have a, a two-and-a-half-hour game. I've been watching some IPL games recently, and I'm actually getting really frustrated watching them. Come on, get on with it. There was one match that was 20 overs in an hour and three quarters. Well, that's slower than test match cricket, which sometimes can feel quite slow. So, and that's really frustrating. And the, and the average IPL innings is an hour and 45 minutes now. You're quite right. So it's dragging into four-hour territory. Yeah, and it, it's, I find it's, it's starting to get quite boring. I mean, you want to watch these players play. You don't want these constant delays. And the, the time it takes players to set fields, for example, you can say, oh, well, it's building up, it's building up the tension. No, it's, I think find it actually starting to get, you know, you go onto your phone or you, you know, go out and make a cup of tea. You, you realise it's illegal for a cricket match to ever end on time, <laughs> don't you? I mean, it just never happens. Whether you have 15 overs in the last hour, it never actually finishes at the last hour, does it? It always overlaps, and so do test cricket. And the other point as well is that they want to di differentiate between the blast. They, and, and that's why the, the counties, I think, sort of, oh, actually, this is OK, because this is not standing on our toes. It's not duplicating the competition that we want to continue with. You think of counties like Somerset and Essex and perhaps Sussex who have who really like the blast, it's successful, it works for them. And they're thinking, well, this is a completely different format, different competition. It's not treading on our toes. So you can, you can see the little canniness behind the idea, but I just wonder whether they got a bit too clever by half. The reaction on social media, I mean, it didn't necessarily go by that, but the reaction on social media, I think, is generally been negative. Yes, I think so. I mean, I did a little poll the other day to see what the, the general reaction was, and 5% thought the idea was imaginative, 57% thought it was crackers, and then 38% worth a try or not sure. So a fairly strong, nearly 60% feeling negative and the rest sort of either positive or not sure. So, you know, the social media reaction has been probably what the, the ECB would expect. I get the sense, you know, from talking to one or two people at the ECB that this has been quite a sudden announcement and that the consultation process in establishing this idea was quite short and that they only talked to a few people 
select people. They've created a T20 board or a new tournament board, which is a mixture of marketing people and one or two ex-cricketers and one or two people on the ECB board. And they've canvassed opinion amongst them and a few of their sort of close acolytes. But I don't think they really put this out to, to a massive marketing campaign or investigation or any particular deep research. But they felt, well, let's try this on with the chairman and the chief executives, see how they react. And they were immediately well, pretty keen, it seemed, or at least they were, they were, some of them were slightly taken aback. But overall, they got approval for it, partly because it wasn't the same as the T20 tournament. So it felt like something different and it wasn't sort of superseding the T20 tournament or over, uh, overtaking it, if you like. And, and the other thing is that they, they wanted to probably test the public reaction. Well, we thought that we'd test the public reaction. So we were down at the Oval on Friday and we asked a bunch of supporters from both Hampshire and Surrey what they thought. I just don't think there's any point to change the existing format. The T20 works fine. If there's any review needed, it's to encourage attendance of the Cannes Championship Games. 50 overs could do with being dismissed. But leave the T20 as is. There's the money there, the fan base is there. Look to review Cancer Championship. Days like today, where the sun's out, it's a Friday, get people through the door, concentrate on that and leave the T20 as it is, as it seems fine as a format. And having an over of 10 balls at the end just seems like a, a, a daft idea that won't really take off. Just how is it going to be different from 2020? You're only looking 20 balls left, so how is it going to change the format what's already there? I just can't see it as an evolution and what they've already got. As a cricket coach myself, I find it incredibly... It's, it's difficult enough to get kids to try and learn the game properly without just wanting to smack the ball for six every five minutes. Taking, making the game even shorter, just encouraging that further. And there's a real risk in the future where um, it's all about batting and hitting the ball as far as you can. And no kid will going to want to bowl because why would you want to bowl against someone where a game fa heavily favours the batsman? I think we all know that... Test cricket is the best form of cricket. You know, you, you, it's like a, a Shakespeare play, in, whereas 2020 is an episode of EastEnders. You know, uh, fine. It might appeal to, to the masses, except it doesn't really, does it? I mean, people come along and... Well, it does at the Oval. Here we are at the Oval. I mean, this gets 25,000 every time it's a T20. There's, there's no marketing of the county championship game, and I think they should market it better, because, I mean, what, we're having a great time. But you sort of need to understand the game a little bit to appreciate this, don't you? True. Maybe we should be trying to educate people about the game rather than uh, just you know, feed into the quick hit, you know, get it over with quickly thing. Fund fundamentally, there's a, there's a root cause problem at the, uh, at the very earliest stages of the sport. Um, I don't know if any of you guys got kids here. Yeah. How many of your kids play cricket at school? None. Fundamentally, you know, you don't have the skill set or the equipment in the schools to just go around and just have a knock around. Even if it's diamond cricket or quick cricket, it, it reignites that, 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 that start. And they're trying to focus too much on the making money and bringing the money into the gate end rather than let's actually get cricket across the board and make it as popular as rugby as football. Schools generally choose between football and rugby, hockey and tennis. Cricket doesn't fall into the equation. The, the thing with football and rugby, it's sort of 80 and 90 minutes. It gets people in and out, where five days' worth of a test game, 
is not appealing to people. They can't always do that amount of time. It's like us today, we're only here for one day, yeah. we're not here for the four days. Where 2020, you're in and out within three hours. The appealing? appreciation of the longer form of the game comes at a, at a young level. Uh, you know, when you, if you play cricket as a youth, and as yeah. you say, they don't play at schools anymore. Clubs now, even, I, I, I play at a club, we used to have a youth section, we don't anymore. There, there aren't enough kids uh, playing cricket. I'd say probably I'm, I guess, one of the youngest person or people you've interviewed today. Uh, and I look back at when I fell in love with cricket, and that would have been 2005 Ashes series, uh, the longest format of the game. Um, and then how old were you then? I would have been 12. Um, and I, I don't see how playing, was it 16.4 overs, different to, to 2020. I can see the appeal of, of playing a, a shorter format, but that already exists. We need to have more cricket available on free-to-air TV. I well, mean, it's unfortunate that Sky and all the other, uh, other channels have taken away us being able to watch cricket, any level of cricket, on domestic TV. But channels. what you can't take away is the fact that the money that has gone into cricket as a result of pay-to-air has made an, a difference in terms of facilities. If you look at if you look at um, amateur cricket and the county leagues, you know the facilities are far better for the money that was invested. But, but there's no now, one playing. But it's now getting no. to a stage though that ten years ago that was fine because it, it, it was an investment that was actually much needed in the sport. However, now it's a case of going. Well, what does it actually cost for us to show maybe one test match per series free to air? Even if you have the token game here or there that's free to air. Is that coverage, and then that starts getting people involved. All you need is that carrot, and people will go for it. There was a huge spike after 2005, yeah. and the on Channel 4, a lot of people went to play, watch cricket there, and they didn't capitalise on that. Now there's more people watch black and white movies on Channel 4 than watch Test Cricket on Sky. Just quickly tell me, um, how old are you, each of you? I'm sorry to ask a personal question. Okay, 25. 37. 39. 31. 25. 58. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 32. I mean, generally speaking there, I think you'd say there was, there was scepticism about the idea. You could argue that that, that demographic are like to be sceptical in that they are at a county championship match, that sort of real bedrock, traditional part of the game. What surprised me about that, actually, and I didn't realise their ages, much younger than I imagined, and sceptical. And actually, the ages of the people in the crowd at the Oval were younger than I felt they, they might be, because... You know, you sit in a county championship match on a Friday afternoon. I mean, it was a beautiful day, obviously, at the Oval. But you normally expect the, the average age of um, supporters of a championship game to be 45, 50-plus, quite a lot of retired people. I reckon, well, we tried to count the crowd, didn't we? It was probably 1,500 to 2,000 people. but Two and a half thousand, it was. OK, so a bit more than we thought. But there was a lot of younger people. We, we, we chatted to people sat near us who were 25, who'd come down after work. They'd knocked off work early at sort of 2 o'clock and they'd come down for the afternoon. So, it, you know, I think we're underestimating the, the age of the average county fan, actually. It's probably a bit younger than we might think. The only thing I would say to that was it was a glorious day mm. and there's that novelty factor. People have been indoors the whole winter. They haven't seen any cricket. It's the start of the season, first lovely day. So, if, you know, if you're not going to come out and watch cricket and make an effort to watch cricket then, when are you going to come out? And it's been, it's been a damn long winter, hasn't it, as well? So it was just a, a chance to get the T-shirt off for some of them. But the, the, the feeling was 
you know, as you say, fairly negative amongst the, the crowd for this new tournament. You do feel it's it's sort of a work in progress. You know, there's a story out today that that 10 ball over at the end, after the 15, six ball overs, could be bowled by three different bowlers. So that's adding a sort of layer of confusion or uncertainty. Some people on social media say, well, we might as well just have a bowling machine. Actually. You'll get Coco the Clown to bowl the over, that 10 ball over. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of discussion, obviously, to be had by how this works. I mean, funnily enough, I've always thought the concept of an over, over-complicated cricket, because, you know, you think about it, you go back in history, the over has actually been four ball overs in the sort of 1800s, eight ball overs in Australia until about the 1980s, early 1980s or late 1970s, six ball overs obviously in England, but we've had overs of lengths from three to eight. And the the concept, you know, when I take to people take people to cricket who haven't been much before, and they go, well, how many balls in an over, and you know, why are they changing ends? In a way, boiling it down into batches of five balls, perhaps five balls from one end, five balls from the other end, you know, goes with the idea of a hundred deliveries overall. It's almost like the decimalisation mm-hmm. of the game. And so I quite t- like so it. it is twenty twenty then, but it's twenty five ball overs. Well, yeah, twenty five ball overs. Maybe maybe that is it. You know, but uh, ten. Perhaps it should be ten aside as well with last man stands. So we really do go down the decimal route. Twenty twenty works though, doesn't it? I mean, that, that's the point I think m- most people are making is that twenty twenty works why are we changing something that already works well you i mean you've already answered that question that it's sort of the marketeers and the 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 commercial side of the game wanted to create this distinct thing i mean in a way it's almost the ecb admitting that they 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 created t20 but didn't really capitalize on it mm. so now they want to own something else and make that a a global format or a global concept it, it, you know, T20 does work. Of course, we were negative about T20. 2003, when T20 came in, I think six of the 18 counties voted against it. Mm. And it's been a phenomenal success all around the world, which in a way England haven't capitalised on. But are those same people who were negative about T20 now being negative about this, possibly? Yeah, well, I mean, often when there is a radical idea, there's that conservative reaction very few people go oh yeah what a fantastic idea and also as well perhaps is the ecb seen as the most popular organization at the moment not necessarily i i don't think the england test team is not doing very well there's that feeling that sort of general disgruntlement around and also the the, the fact that if you know if you are a, a you're, you're Bedrock County supporters, a feeling of you know, why do we need this competition in the first place? And there's, there's not just that; it's not just about the format. Is why do we need it? We're suddenly going to create these city-based teams, you know, random selections, you know, and then get on with it. There are those areas that are going to have a team, and then there are those areas who are not. So there's there's that feeling as well, that disconnect out there as well among the the regular traditional supporter. There's a reason why this has come about. It's a very simple reason. Because cricket, for the last 12 years, has been basically behind a paywall. It's the only sport, the only major sport, that doesn't have some live on a terrestrial TV station. And as one of those punters at Surrey was saying, you know, the, 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 the great excitement, the, the real climax of that 2005 Ashes should have been really capitalised on. But by then they'd already sold their whole soul to Sky, and Sky's money, and, and actually their commitment to the, to the game has been fantastic, yeah. but it's only to, let's say, just over a third of the population. A lot of people still not prepared to pay their 
you know, 50 quid a month to watch cricket on a, a satellite station. That's why the game is not as popular as it was. It's not in as, as many schools as it was. Therefore, you have to keep creating new tournaments and a new buzz to keep people interested. OK, we're going to have a break there. After the break, we're going to hear from one of the, in theory, the most traditional voices in the game telling us why this new competition must work and why they're embracing it. Welcome back. This podcast is in association with The Cricketer magazine. You can get 20% off the subscription to The Cricketer magazine if you go to www.thecricketer.com forward slash podcast. A new issue out in about a week and a half's time. So make sure you try and subscribe and get 20% off. Right. That brings us to, to Lords and it brings us to the MCC and their new chief executive, Guy Lavender, who is a... Uh, a moderniser. Of course, he came to the MCC as the ex-Somerset chief executive. He won the, the chance to be the chief executive of the MCC uh, amongst a, a number of other very good candidates. And he's, he's definitely a moderniser. He's established a, a fantastic setup at Su a Somerset and now a real kind of cottage industry going on down there with a great deal of support and a very successful team as well. Actually, he's been at uh, Lords at an interesting time too because... For the first time in the next two years, MCC and Middlesex will sort of be joining forces together to form a team for this new, what we're now calling the 100 tournament. And it's never really happened before. Of course, the MCC are owners of Lords and Middlesex are just tenants. They pay rent to the MCC to play there. And, and for many years, the MCC and Middlesex were not exactly at loggerheads, but they never really got on particularly well. And Middlesex were the sort of poor cousins of the ground. But now they're really working together as a, as a team. And the, the Middlesex director of Greek and Angus Fraser is housed in the Lords Pavilion. And there really is a very good relationship between the two. And for the first time, they're going to be creating a team together with probably a sort of independent board, which is separate from both MCC and Middlesex, but kind of working together to create the, the next level of cricket at Laws, which is very exciting to be involved in. And the point is that Guy Lavender is, is really enthusiastic about the new tournament and making it work and making Lords work on the days when cricket is being played there in this new competition as well. Of course, we have, uh, we have our, our core function really is, is around delivering big international test matches, which are enormously popular. But if you think about opportunities for us as a club, the new competition, I think, provides the best opportunity and generation to get a whole new audience into Lords, to see it in a different way, to experience cricket, um, to, to put ticket prices at a level that local people and, and people on low incomes can afford, um, that we can open up the ground, create a celebration of cricket um, uh, around that new tournament. So for me... That's really one that we're focused upon uh, in linking all of our community engagement activities that we're doing at the moment, thinking about how we operate the ground. Um, and I think that, that, that is a great opportunity because, of course, it's not conflicting with your members uh, or the operation of the pavilion per se, although that's an interesting area um, for me. I think that we've got to understand, and I think all my MCC members understand that the pavilion is the showcase mm. for global media to get an impression of what type of club we we are uh, and therefore you know, it's got to be full um, it's got to be a di it's got to be diverse uh, particularly for for things like the new competition there's a lot of a lot of um, 
members and, and traditional cricket supporters will, will 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 think we should be taking a completely different line and holding out for Test cricket and championing t- Test cricket, which we can do. I don't think it's an either-or discussion, um, but the game has changed. Um, you only have to look at the impact of the IPL. Yeah. Um, um, big bash in Australia, um, the, the enthusiasm for the broadcaster, what the spectator wants to watch. The, the, the strategic situation of cricket has changed and what you can't do, whether you're in business um, or in sport, is sit still and say, oh, we'll just ignore that. Um, we've got to um, embrace it, the new competition, but of course continues to champion test match cricket and the long format of the game and that's what people love. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm not as pessimistic as some about the future of, of, of the long format of the game. Why? Um, because I think it has an enduring appeal. Um, and I think you will, you will see a transition of, of people from T20 into the longer format of the game. I strongly believe that. Why do I say that? You know, I've, got, I've got two boys who are now 20 and 18. Um, three or four years ago, they weren't interested in watching a test match. And now they are. They only wanted to watch T20. So I think people get bored with that format of the game. I think as you grow and develop a love of, of, of cricket, you can see the skills uh, and the challenge that Test Match Cricket brings that you can't replicate anywhere else. So I think you will see this transition. Well, that's Guy Lavender, the Chief Executive of the MCC, really promoting the new tournament and their role within it, the, the team that's going to be based at Lords. Just an interesting point he made at the end there, though, that, that people get bored with the, the short format, and he believes they'll transition, I think was the word he used, to the longer format of the game. In other words, it's, it's an entry point that the T20 or the 100 is an entry point, and they hope that people come through and then go and follow Test cricket. And Lords is, is very progressive, actually. A lot of people think the MCC is a, but a bunch of diehards and old gits, you know, sitting in the, in the long room and, you know, basically half asleep. But actually, the MCC does a huge amount for the game. They play something like 550 matches a year against clubs and schools. This year, they're playing a lot of cricket in inner cities. They're playing in the South Asian community in Birmingham, for instance. They're engaging a lot with the community in Westminster to try and get schools involved and coming down to the ground. I mean, I, I knew someone that, that lived not far away from Lords and didn't really didn't realise it was there, walking along that wall on the Wellington Road, which is a big high brick wall. You don't know what's behind it. It could be a prison, for all you know. So they're really trying to kind of enlighten the, the community with the... The, the great attraction of Lords and its versatility and make it properly engage with the community. And I think this tournament will really do that as well. So change the regulations in the long room, do you think? Uh, yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, you know, there'll be girls in the long room, which, of course, there are already, but th- th- there'll be, I think, families will be accommodated in the long room, ultimately. And th- th- it, that sounds a little bit sort of terrifying, perhaps, if you're a, a die-hard member that's been paying your subscription for the last 30 years and suddenly you feel you're going to be uh, kind of usurped by families. But I think that the key to it, in a way, is to make Lords look like a vibrant place, and often the cameras focus on the pavilion, mm. and it does sometimes not sell the game as well as, well as it might. So I think they're going to really brighten up the pavilion for those particular matches and make it much more all-inclusive. Now, a couple of other announcements uh, this week. One, radio rights for the winter. Again, the reaction on social media saying, well, our Test Match Special is the home of 
cricket on the radio and worse than Brexit, I've heard people say. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, uh, depending on your view about Brexit, the the point about this is that uh, money talks, of course. Uh, it talks for Talk Sport because they go to the Sri Lankan Cricket Board, they go to the West Indies Cricket Board, the South African Cricket Board because the South African Tour is, is the is the winter afterwards. It's my understanding that uh, Talk Sport are close to taking the rights for. South Africa as well. So this is not just a, a, a very short-term thing. It's not for this winter. It could happen a lot more in the future. Of course, I have an interest in this because I'm, I work for the BBC and, and, for, and for Test Match Special. But basically, the rights are sold by the Sri Lankan Cricket Board. It's nothing to do with the ECB. They're sold by the West Indies Cricket Board. You go to the, There's a bidding process, and whoever bids the most wins the deal. And uh, Talk Sport have money, clearly, to go out and, and, and win these deals and this is what they are going to do it's not it's not something new talk sport were involved in test match cricket in the early 2000s towards south africa and west indies and uh, and sri lanka and then perhaps it didn't work for them commercially but now they feel it does so there is that competition and uh, when you have competition you have a, a bidding and when you have a bid it goes often to the highest bidder. And I think that, uh, you know, I work for the BBC as well, and I, I have the greatest regard for Test Match Specialists, and an enjoyable and, you know, highly polished uh, operation to work for. But I think sometimes healthy competition is good, and I think also that it's a chance for some other voices to be heard uh, on talk sport. Uh, so it, it's good to spread the, the, the load around and give a few other people an opportunity. And actually, funnily enough, also... You look at these two boards, the Sri Lankans and the West Indies, two of the poorest boards around. And South Africa as well. And South Africa. You know, they need the money. They're not getting as much money from the ICC, perhaps, as they deserve. So they're looking to, to try and top up their coffers in other ways. And this is a way of doing it. So although the BBC and its faithful following may be very disappointed, it's good for the boards of Sri Lanka and West Indies and South Africa because a bit more money is coming in to be able to nurture the game, to encourage players, to spend a bit more on facilities perhaps, to, to broadcast the game in, in different ways and hopefully produce good cricketers and therefore keep the world game vibrant. It's interesting you talk about different voices there. I mean, in an ideal world, it would be great to have competition on the radio so that Test Match Special was up against talk sport, both domestically and internationally, but generally speaking, commercial broadcasters want exclusivity because they don't want they don't want that competition. They want that you, know, you want to be drawing in listeners just to your station without any competition at all. Uh, and the one I suppose issue with with Talksport is that they'll run commercials, and they've said they'll promise not to do too many. But sometimes the intrusion of commercials is is really irritating especially when you're following a test match on radio and you're getting into the tempo and the flow and the, the whole atmosphere and then suddenly it's interrupted by a sort of checkatrade.com you know jingle or something i mean it's just infuriating and suddenly you're it's a bit like watching a movie isn't it and suddenly there's a commercial break just when you're really getting into it so you can see why people are irritated by the the, the intrusion of commercials but it's, it's a fact of life these days. And how, how do you pay for it without having commercials? The other thing I was thinking is that you have auction for 
cricketers in, say, the IPL or in this new tournament, maybe sort of the uh, the broadcasters should go through an auction process as well. Well, I'm not going to comment on that. Let's let's move on to... What do you think they'd bid for you, then? Oh, not very much, I shouldn't think. Um, <laughs> they, might, they might bid quite a lot in Gloucestershire. <laughs> yeah, they might, but they wouldn't in Somerset, necessarily, so I need to be a bit careful about that. Anyway, let's move on to uh, the other major announcement of the week. Ed Smith as the new national selector, replacing James Whitaker. Well, you know, I think it's an enterprising move, actually. And uh, obviously stats and analytics have become a a, a real hot topic. And Ed is very much uh, across all that. It's interesting that uh, Andrew Strauss has said, I think, today, that they want to try and find more sources of information than they have in the past, which is a sort of admission that they haven't really looked into the, the stats, perhaps with as much depth. And there are so many more statistics now, some of them give you a headache but others are interesting and revealing like some of the ones that we had from Dan Weston on this show last week so and I think just Ed is a very good judge of of, of cricketers he studies the game deeply he's not just a cricket man you know he's also written obviously about baseball and other sports he's a great uh, fan of people like Roger Federer aren't we all so he he keeps his eyes open to all sorts of sports and you know, life in general. So he's quite a rounded character, I think. It's a tough job. Mm. I, I, I mean, I, you asked me last week, would, would I have applied for it? And I, it's, 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 a, it's a brave job for anyone to take on. I wish him luck. Yeah. I mean, the point is, we, we made the point last week, didn't we, that when the team do well, it's the players, it's the coaches who've done well. When the team does badly, it's the selection, the selectors, you know, whoever, isn't it? It's, it, it? So in a way, you don't get a great deal of credit, you, you might get the odd bit of credit, and if you if you select a player and he, he's a bit left field and he does really well, uh, for example, I mean, Duncan Fletcher got a lot of credit, didn't he, for selecting Marcus Truscothic? He had something was in the memory bank there, and he, when he became England coach, Truscothic came in eventually and and had a very successful international career. Uh, you know, I've worked with Ed quite a bit on Test match special over the last few years. He'll approach the job with an open mind. He doesn't start until May. So what you might find to start with is that his influence will not be obvious as he feels his way into the job. I think that's the way he operates. He, he, he doesn't have you know, no knee-jerk reactions. He'll think things through really, really clearly, and he'll make a decision for a very clearly thought-out reason. But it's, it's not an easy job, and, yeah, I, as a former colleague and someone who's got to know him quite well, I, I wish him all the very best because it, it, it's not an easy job. And you, you do wonder, especially at the test level, I think white ball cricket England are quite well stopped at the moment. At test level, mm. it's not an easy job to select a, a good England test team. No, because you can't tell a huge amount from county cricket. For a start, it's played at the beginning of the season for the first month and a half, when pitches are pretty helpful for bowlers and if you can dob it on the spot and nip it around a bit, you're going to get wickets, as we've seen up and down the country. And then suddenly there's no first-class cricket for about two months until the end of the season. So it's quite pretty hard to be able to judge players on you know, small amounts, small blocks of, of matches. And, and look at what the, the evidence he's had so far to look at. None of the opening batsmen have in contention and made any runs at all. People like Hamid have been barely into double figures. Keaton Jennings the same, Mark Stoneman. And the bowlers have been taking wickets all over the place. Mm. I really like Jamie Porter, actually. I think he's got that sort of robust action, that kind of 
batsman hatred as well. He's got good control. You know, he's, he's got a sort of ruthless streak about him. He's been getting good players out, notably Keaton Jennings and also Hamid, and in fact also Chandapal in, in one innings of the match against Lancashire. I really like Oli Pope, actually. I know he's too young, but Surrey have unearthed a couple of real talents. Ben Folks, you mentioned as well, who's been making runs. And Oli Pope, only seven first-class matches, already 200s, reminded us uh, both a little bit of Ian Bell when we were watching him on Friday. Lovely flow into the ball. And that was before he made his 100 on, on, yeah, on Sunday. He, right. he de- definitely caught the arm. The thing about Pope was that made me sit up and take notice was that Alex Stewart drafted him into a, a one-day cup semi-final two years ago for his debut, semi-final at, at Headingley for his debut. And you think, well, that, that's an interesting... As a, you know, as a teenager, raw player, they must think quite a lot of him down at Surrey. And I, I pick out one more, actually, for, for Surrey as well. Amma Verdi, who took a couple of key wickets in the, the Hampshire second innings and completely befuddled both Hashim Ambler and James Vince. So good, two good scalps. And he's only 19. I'm not sure either of them were out, mind. Well, mate, well, <laughs> no, I mean, certainly the second one, James looked a little bit unlucky. It looked pretty high. But he was getting fizz and bounce, and he had a lovely bouncy sort of rhythmical run-up. And he's taken wickets abroad as well. He took four for, in a, a match against Queensland for the Lions. And there's something about him. He's only 19. He's got that real energy about his bowling. He looks as if he really turns the ball. And he was one of, I think, five teenagers playing in the same Surrey side last year. So there's, there's something that Alex Stewart and his team at, at Surrey have done is, is pretty good. Well, lots to talk about this week. So much, actually. Is there any, anything left for next week to talk about? Well, there is always something to talk about in the game of cricket. Thanks very much for listening. We'll speak to you again in a week's time. Podcast Network.